it's good to be home. It's good to be here. Um, I know that God has a word for us. Uh, I saw this, uh, what, what do you call it? Is it a GIF? Uh, uh, yeah, look, look, at, look, look, look what it says there. It says, when the pastor preaches about your exact situation and you try to figure out who told him about you. <laughs> well, somebody actually right after Cutler service sent me a text and they said, you read my mail today. Uh, some of you are aware that um, I went and had the privilege of joining some other leaders of our community and pastors and we prayed over the new uh, high school that they're building here in Dinuba. And, and somebody afterwards came and, and shared with me about uh, uh, <clears throat> a family member just was like, did you talk to the pastor? No. They thought that they had talked to me about something they had talked about before because after they had talked, the following Sunday, I spoke a message and that person felt like, oh, they talked to the pastor. That's why he preached on that. But let me just tell you, I don't, I don't, homie don't play that, right? But the Holy Spirit knows what we need when we need it. And I believe that today's message is going to be applicable to a lot of us. And I've entitled it, Turning Frustration into Intercession. How many of you were at least frustrated once this past week? Just one time, okay. <laughs> Uh, frustration is a common experience. And I want to share with you on how to turn your frustration into intercession. Somebody said, it's a little frustrating sometimes when you listen to your children saying their prayers. It costs thousands and thousands of dollars to raise them. And you get mentioned ahead of the goldfish, but after the Gerber or the hamster. <laughs> Somebody else pointed out that Frustration happens because of our expectation being too high. And people fail to meet those expectations. I want to ask you, have you ever played a board game and you tried to play without knowing the rules? Anybody else? I've done that, okay. You figure, you can figure it out as you go. And then you get into a situation and you don't know what to do. And what happens? Everyone has... A different idea. And people start getting mad. And people quit the game. And others start calling others names. You're a cheater. I know you're a cheater. You know. Why the confusion and frustration? Because people don't know the rules. If they knew how the game worked, then there would be a lot less confusion and frustration and name calling and quitting. The same goes for the kingdom of heaven. We need to know the precepts and principles of God's word and of God's kingdom. Because if you haven't heard it by now, God's kingdom is an upside down kingdom. It works contrary to the ways of the world and the culture of our day. Therefore, we need to know the rules. We need to know the precepts and principles that govern and guide God's kingdom. We need to know how it works. If we don't, there will be all this frustration and name-calling and quitting that we see in a lot of churches and among a lot of Christians. 
Today I want to look at an Old Testament person. A person from the Old Testament who dealt with frustration. And what you're going to discover is they dealt with it for a long time. Year after year, there was this underlying frustration. But this individual decided to turn their frustration into intercession. And as a result, instead of experiencing a breakdown, they experienced a breakthrough. How many of you would like a breakthrough today? I believe that we're going to learn through this example found in 1 Samuel chapter 1. And it's a lengthy passage that I'm going to read from, but indulge me. Verses 1 through 18 says, There was a certain man of Ramathaim Zophan of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Ilkana, the son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zeph, an Ephrathite. He had two wives. Watch this. The name of one was Hannah, and the other, Panina. And Panina had children, but Hannah had no children. Did you notice the man, Ilkana, had two wives? So, hmm. But you also know that that means he had two mother-in-laws, so don't get... (laughs) But why that? Well, see, because in those days, if your wife that you married initially didn't have children then customarily you could get married to another. And in those days, to be barren was considered to be cursed by God. And so Hannah lived under the stigma of being cursed. Now, the Bible tells us going on, and Penina Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, notice, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. Watch this. And her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. Have you ever found somebody cross your life who because of your predicament and situation, they used it to provoke you? They took advantage of your predicament in order to push all your wrong buttons. Nobody got somebody like that in your life? Praise God. Keep on thanking the good Lord. They're coming. And it says, therefore, (laughs) it says, so it went on, notice, year by year, as often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. And Ilkana, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep and why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? And am I not more to you than ten sons? Your husband, don't say stuff like that. Danger. It says, after they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was gr- deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitter- bitterly, it says. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And no razor shall touch his head. 
As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart. Only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, watch this, no, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant, notice, as a worthless or good-for-nothing woman. For all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then, watch this, the woman went away and ate, and her face was no longer sad. And her face was no longer sad. As I looked at this passage, I discovered that there are really three main characters in this story that are worth our attention this morning. The first I call the provoker. The second is the prayer, prayer, and the third is the promiser. The first is the provoker. You don't know it by now? The provoker is named here as Panina. Panina was a provoker. And I want to point out a couple things about the provoker so that you will be aware of the strategy of a provoker. First, The provoker's goal, the provoker's goal is to irritate you till you become irate. (laughs) The provoker's goal is to irritate you until you become irate. The Bible says there in 1 Samuel 1, 6, watch this. And her rival used to provoke her, notice, grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. Again, the provoker exists and delights in pushing all your wrong buttons because they're looking for a certain kind of reaction that will bring them satisfaction and keep you in a state of frustration. That's what a provoker does. They look to push all your wrong buttons with the aim of trying to get from you a reaction that will satisfy them but keep you in a state of frustration. And then, there's a second thing we learned about the provoker. The provoker seeks to break you down in order to keep you from your breakthrough. The provoker seeks to break you down in order to keep you from your breakthrough. Don't miss the connection. It tells us there in 1 Samuel 1, 7. So it went on, notice, year by year, say year by year, as often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Don't miss that connection. As often as Hannah would go up to the house of the Lord, the provoker would be there 
to provoke her. Why? Because the provoker was trying to discourage her, to keep her from going forward to the house of the Lord. The provoker was hoping, if I keep pushing her wrong buttons, maybe she'll stop going to the Lord. And finally, adopt and accept the fact that the barrenness she's experiencing is going to be her permanent lot in life. I say all that to tell you, when you make up your mind, I'm going to go all in with God. When you make up your mind... There ain't no stopping me from going to the house of the Lord. When you make up your mind, I'm going to serve Jesus with more of me. I'm going to yield more to Him. Don't think the devil's going to celebrate it. He's going to be there like the provoker. And he's going to keep trying to push all your buttons. And he's going to keep trying to discourage you. Because he's afraid of this fact that if you keep showing up, eventually, instead of a breakdown, you're going to have a breakthrough. And once you get that breakthrough, he can intimidate. He can't manipulate and he can't dominate you anymore. You see, year after year, I want you to catch this because some of us were frustrated because we've been going through something for the last 48 hours. Oh, we've been going through it for the last six months. But she was going through this state and condition of barrenness year after year after year. But because she kept going to the house of the Lord, there had to be something in the meeting with the Lord that kept fueling her fire and saying, I know it hasn't happened yet, but don't quit. Don't give up. And I'm saying to you, don't let the devil have the last word. Don't let the devil keep you in frustration, but turn your frustration into intercession and have a made up mind. I'm going to keep showing up. Because I'm not going to have a breakdown. I'm going after my breakthrough. Woo! Say provoker. And then we have the prayer. That's the person who prays. That's the person who decides in the middle of being provoked, I'm going to keep on praying. And of course, we know in this passage, that person was Hannah. She was dealing with a provoker. She responded by choosing to be a prayer. The Bible tells us in 1 Samuel chapter 1 verses 10 and 15, 1 Samuel 1 10 and 15, it says she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And then verse 15, but Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I've drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been noticed pouring out my soul before the Lord. Notice that Hannah practiced what the psalmist encouraged. Hannah practiced what the psalmist encouraged. The psalmist encouraged in Psalm 62, 8. It says, trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Then it says, Sela. Sela or Sela means pause, ponder, contemplate this, think on this. Whenever you find yourself, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if God is your God, then 
pause, think about this, that whenever you're in trouble, whenever you're dealing with a provoker, you are not without refuge. You have a place you can go to. The psalmist also said, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. He said, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. What he was recognizing is, even when I'm going through the valley, I still got a rock I can run to, a place I can shelter in, a place of refuge, a place that will be my hiding place, a place that will be a fortress, a place that will be a high tower, a place where I will find strength in the middle of my stress, a place where I will find blessing in the middle of my bitterness, a place where I will experience greatness in the middle of my weakness. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I Notice she poured out her heart. This is the key to going from frustration to victory and vindication. It's choosing to go to the Lord when you find yourself in frustration. She also followed the psalmist's example. Look at Psalm 142, verses 1 and 2. It says, with my voice, I cry out to the Lord. Watch this. With my voice, I plead for mercy to the Lord. Watch this. I pour out my complaint before Him. I tell my trouble before Him. All of us, to some degree, utter complaints. But listen to me. You can complain to me, and I can hear you out. But when you complain to Him, you're complaining to the one that can help you out. That's the difference. You can complain to your compa, your comadre, and they'll hear you out. Or you can complain to the Lord who can help you out. She was not denying her feelings. She said, I'm bitter in soul. I have anguish. But neither did she allow her feelings to fester. But instead, she took her feelings to the one who says, I'm your refuge. I'm your shelter. I'm your help in the midst of your trouble. And as a result, what happened? Every time you go to God and you pour out what's in you, you make space for Him to pour out what's in Him. Isn't that good? Therefore, when I come to God and I pour out my anger, what does He do? He fills me with His peace. I pour out my fear and He fills me with faith. I pour out before Him my frustration and He fills me with His joy, inexpressible and full of glory. You see, when you pray, you not only get God's attention, you trigger God's intervention. When you pray, you not only get God's attention, you trigger His intervention. I love what Pastor Jennifer Ivaz or Ivaz from Harvest Church in Turlock said. She said this, Hannah was reduced to tears, but she refused to be reduced. <laughs> Hannah was reduced to tears, but she refused 
to be reduced. She said, oh, Panina, you might make me cry, but my crying will drive me to the one who has promised to vindicate his own. You're not reducing me to nothing. I'm going to the one who has said that I can come to him with my troubles. And I'm saying to you today, the reality is, in life, you're going to deal with provokers. And in life, you're going to deal, child of God, with a devil who's going to try to be a provoker in your life. But do not let him reduce you. But you stand in your understanding that I am not hopeless or helpless. I have hope and help in the God who invites me to come to him. The one who invites me to call on him whenever I'm in trouble. And so we see the provoker and we see the prayer. And then we discover the promiser. Promiser. Look at 1 Samuel 1, verses 17, 19, and 20. 1 Samuel 1, 17, 19, and 20. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And then verses 19 and 20 said, They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife. And the Lord remembered her. And in due time, say due time, Hannah was Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel. For she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. Woo! He's been asked for. And he's been given. (laughs) I asked him from the Lord. But I want you to see something. Eli here was God's representative. And he didn't actually give her a promise. He threw out a wish, basically. He said, go in peace and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made him. But she took it as a promise. She said, you're God's representative. And you're telling me that may God grant me what I've asked him. And she took it as a promise. So Eli was representing the promiser. And what we discover about the promiser God, the promiser hears. The promiser hears. Anytime you pray, you gotta know the promiser is hearing. But not only does the promiser hear, the promiser heeds. Say heeds. Uh huh. The word heed means to give serious attention. Take notice of. To give serious attention. Take notice of. God not only hears your prayer, God takes notice of your petition. God gives serious attention to what you're asking Him for. But not only does God, the promiser, hear. Not only does God pay attention to, give serious attention to what you're asking for, but He, he, the promiser, helps. Say, helps. Ah, you see, the promiser helps. And then there's a passage in the Old Testament in Exodus 2, verses 23 to 25. Exodus 2, 23 to 25 says, During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery, notice, came up to God. Mm. 
Now I want you to see what God, the true God does. It says, and God heard, say God heard. They're groaning. And then it says, and God remembered, say God remembered. His covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And then it says, God saw, say God saw. The people of Israel. And then it says, and God knew, say God knew. I want you to understand something. The God who created the heavens and earth and who fearfully and wonderfully made you. He's not some distant deity. He's not some distant deity. No, he's not some divine clockmaker who created some clock and then detached himself and left it running after he wound it up by himself. No, He is the one who came from heaven to earth, was tempted and tested like you and I. Why? So that He could know the feelings of our infirmities, our weaknesses. So when the Bible says God knows, God knows. God knows what you're feeling. God knows what you're going through. But here's the thing you need to know about the God that knows. He's also capable of helping you in what you're feeling and what you're going through. But in order for you to know the God who is able to help you, you've got to pray. Prayer triggers His intervention. You've got to make up your mind and say, I'm not a victim to my frustration. I'm not a victim to this condition. This is not my permanent condition. I have a God who says, if I call, He will answer. Yes! And then it says God saw. He not only knows, God saw. And one of the covenant names of God is El Roi. That means the God who sees. God sees. God sees. You've heard it. If his eye is on the sparrow, then I know that he's watching over me. Maybe you feel like nobody knows what I'm going through. Nobody sees what I'm experiencing. Nobody understands what I'm facing right now in my life. And it may be true that those around you aren't considering what you're going through. But I'm here to tell you, God sees. God is watching over you. He doesn't slumber nor sleep. He who watches Israel is always vigilant. And He is looking out for you. He not only knew, He not only saw, He remembered. Say remember. I have a study Bible in my library called the Transformation Study Bible. The general editor is Dr. Warren Wiersbe, who's gone on to be with the Lord. But I love what he says about God remembers or God remembered. He said, he says in his footnote, to remember means to act on behalf of another. To remember implies a previous commitment made by God. And announces the fulfillment of that commitment. He says we can be sure that God never forgets nor forsakes his people. Not only because of his promises, but also because of his character. God is love, and where there's love, where there's love, there's faithfulness. He can never deny himself. Or his word. For he's the faithful God. And he can never change. Why? Because he's immutable. Meaning unchanging. He said through Malachi. In Malachi 3.6. I am the Lord. And I change not. Let me tell you something. The stock market changes. Uh, Those in Washington D.C. They change. Those in Sacramento, California. They change. But the king of kings. 
and Lord of Lords never changes. And He's saying to you, I am not a man that I should lie. Neither am I the Son of Man that I should repent. If I spoke it, then I'm going to do it. If I declare it, I'm going to make it good. I'm saying to you today, you may be in a situation where you find yourself in a condition and you, because of your experience in the past, you feel like it's, this is never going to change because I trusted in somebody and they failed me and they let me down. But I'm not talking about just a human being. I'm talking about the God-man. He is faithful. He is true. He is Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. So did you get it? Did you understand? Through Hannah, overcoming frustration requires employing intercession. Overcoming frustration requires employing intercession. As I stated earlier, when you pray, you not only get God's attention, you trigger God's intervention. When you pray, you not only get God's attention, you trigger God's intervention. Let me tell you again what I've told you before. If God is your father, please call home. He's the one that invites you. Call to me, and I'll answer you, and I'll show you great and mighty things which you know not of. Jeremiah 33. He says in Psalm 51, call to me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you will glorify me. Twice the psalmist said, this poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and delivered him from all his fears. And then he said, this poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and delivered him from all his troubles. Did you get it? What does all mean? All. In Hebrew, it means all. In Greek, it means all. In Spanish, it's pronounced todo, and it means all. Someone noted, the purpose of prayer, or the highest purpose of prayer, is not to change your circumstances, but to change you. Watch this. Prayer may not change all things for you, but it will change you for all things. Mm. Prayer is a stop that keeps you going. You want to go on? Whenever you find yourself in trouble, get on your knees. Call on the Lord. The church advances on her knees. 
Because when we pray, we put it in His hands instead of trusting in our own. What did Hannah do? Watch this. Hannah experienced her bitterness being changed into blessing. Her stress transformed into strength. And her barrenness into fruitfulness because she chose to turn her frustration into intercession. And so can you. God, who heard Hannah, will hear you. Dare, like Hannah. To allow whatever you're going through to drive you to God. And if it drives you to God, God then (laughs) will drive you through what you're going through. Father, thank you for your word today. How you teach us and instruct us through it. And today you have enlightened us, you've illuminated our hearts and minds through the truth of your word. Teaching us how we can turn frustration into intercession by Hannah's example. And if we'll do that, we will experience not only receiving your attention as we call out to you, but also our prayer would trigger your intervention. Mm. Lord, just like in Cutler, I know there's people, there are people here in Dinuba. Some are dealing with frustration because of a condition that they're dealing with in their lives that seems unchanging. And because it's been unchanged, it has felt unbearable. But you're ready to hear their cry. You're ready to heed. And you're ready to help. And so I thank you that today... We have a place of refuge. It's in you. You're the rock that is higher than us. You're the strong tower. You're the fortress. You're the shelter for our time of storm. And I pray right now, Father, for those who have been dealing with frustration in their lives that today they would find and Exert the courage to employ intercession, to call on you, to seek you. For if we seek you, you will be found. Yeah, you will. And so I'm opening up this altar right now for those of you that say, Pastor, I will choose to turn my frustration into intercession. I will call on the one who hears, who heeds, and who helps. I will call on him who invites me to call. And who has promised to hear, to heed, and to help me.
That's you. You come right now. Don't wait on anybody. This is your moment. And you know this word was for you. This is your opportunity to respond. God is here, and we have sensed Him throughout this service. Right now, He is ready to not only hear your cry, but to heed and to help. You want that? You come. Come before Him. He's ready today. That's it. Thank you, Abba, for your presence, your power. Do what you do, Lord, right now. Do what you do. This altar's open for others of you. You know. You know you need to call out to Him. Instead of letting your situation drive you mad, make it drive you to the Lord. And He'll drive you through what you're going through. Come on.